0: As I look back over the last 200 episodes and look to the future, I'll continue to do what we talk about on Love & Life all the time. I will continue to bring content that I believe will be valuable and that is also in line with our values. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist. Author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love & Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abrel. Welcome to episode number 200 of Love & Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abrel. Milestones like birthdays or 200th podcast episodes provide us with an opportunity to reflect. So I wanted to take a few minutes to share my heart with you, as so many of you have shared your hearts with me over these last five years of the podcast and our interactions on Instagram and via consultations, whether we've had an individual consultation together or you've been part of one of my groups. In taking a moment to reflect, my first thought is how grateful I am for having the opportunity to share with you and our community. Your comments, emails, and DMs mean everything to me. They let me know you resonate with love and life and our mission, which is conversations grounded in psych research to help us thrive in love and life. And when I say how thankful I am, I know you know I mean it. Gratitude has become a huge part of how I do life. We've talked about the psych research on gratitude in many Love & Life episodes, highlighting how in study after study, gratitude consistently correlates with happiness. And I know many of you have a gratitude practice that's really important to how you do life. And so, again, when you have a milestone, it's nice to reflect back and be thankful. I've also been thinking a lot about how this all started with the publication of my book, Single is the New Black, Don't Wear White Till It's Right. As most of you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. And I launched Love and Life and my Instagram presence in efforts to connect with single women and share what I believed would be encouragement and empowerment. But as I think about it, the impetus for my platform actually precedes the book. It goes back to calling off my wedding. That's when so many of the themes that we delve into on love and life came into focus for me. And I think that's so often the case, isn't it? That when we struggle at a crossroads, we learn not only who we are, but we also decide who we intend to be. We clarify our values. For me... I determined that truth and living honestly were core values. I couldn't step into a marriage that looked ideal from the outside, but wasn't genuine on the inside. In addition to truth and honesty, I realized I valued action. I had to move toward my values and act in accordance with them. So I ran away from the altar and ran toward authenticity. Maybe you've never been a runaway bride, but I'm sure you can pinpoint times in your life when you faced choices or had to make decisions which made your values become very clear and reinforced them. When we pause to reflect on these times, we trace the themes of our lives and we observe how our values are always at work. When we step away from them or ignore them, we likely feel uncomfortable and out of sorts. Something just feels off. But when we're living in alignment with our values, we feel more confident, self-assured, and empowered. The values which became so salient when I called off my wedding, truth, honesty, and taking action, they remain with me. And I think about them in this moment. As I'm recording my 200th podcast episode, what would my values have me do right now? What action do I need to take in the service of these values? I love how ACT puts it. Dr. Hayes says we take committed action in the service of our chosen values. So I've been thinking a lot about that, especially... Because I've definitely been feeling off recently. I know I'm not the only one. We just went through a global pandemic, and it's probably unrealistic to think that we'd all just be feeling honky-dory and business as usual. The ground has definitely shifted beneath us. What we believe to be true in a wide variety of domains has been challenged. I don't know what it was for you. Maybe it was you couldn't believe your best friend wouldn't get the vaccine, or you were completely surprised that people agreed to be locked down for so long. Or maybe you're still trying to figure out, like I am, how health choices and medical decisions regarding how to take care of ourselves and each other through this pandemic became so politicized. Something about the last two and a half years likely challenged your perceptions and your understanding of the world we live in. So much has changed, and a lot of that change relates to our core values. For example, as I noted earlier, the mission statement of love and life insists that episodes be grounded in psych research. That's because I value truth, and I believe scientific exploration reveals truth. So when I started the podcast, it was incredibly important to me that I provided listeners with content that was worth their time. If you give me 30, 45, or 60 minutes of your life, I want you to feel the episode has enhanced your intellectual or emotional knowledge, which reveals another value of mine, not wasting time. So I approached each episode as I did when I was preparing lectures when I was a professor. You make a point and you back it up with the science. I shared the science because I value truth. But sadly, we've recently witnessed a dismaying degeneration of science. I want to talk about three examples of this, and then I'll share the citations in the show notes for anyone who'd like to explore more on your own. The first example of faulty science hits close to home. We've talked about psychiatric medications on this podcast pretty frequently. I share my concerns around the medicalization of our emotions whenever I can. And we examined it in depth in episode 22 with psychiatrist Dr. Alan Francis, the author of Saving Normal. Also in episode 122 with the founder of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, Dr. Stephen C. Hayes and then again in episode 167 with naturopath Dr. Diana Lipford. I've shared that the quote chemical imbalance model of depression has concerned me ever since I read Dr. Peter Bregan's book, Talking Back to Prozac, early in my career as a psychotherapist. Dr. Bregan was the first psychiatrist that I knew of who was pushing back against this chemical imbalance model. But as I just noted there were many other professionals in the field who were also challenging this ever since Eli Lilly, the manufacturers of Prozac, perpetuated the chemical imbalance model in their marketing of Prozac. In fact, according to Robert Whitaker, author of Anatomy of an Epidemic, many psychiatrists have acknowledged that there's never been solid evidence of depression being a result of low serotonin levels. But, like I said, pharmaceutical corporations have marketed Prozac and other second-generation antidepressants as designed to, quote, fix faulty brain chemistry. Pharma spends billions on marketing campaigns. And they work. Whether or not the messaging is true or grounded in legitimate science. So although many in the field have known that depression isn't related to low serotonin levels, and sidebar, in fact, in some studies, depressed patients have higher serotonin levels, Big Pharma's marketing campaigns were effective, and most Americans now believe depression is a result of a chemical imbalance, and hence, they're more willing to take a pill to address it. Pharma has effectively co-opted the supposed neurological explanation for depression, And how to treat it. But like I said, there was actually no consensus in the field surrounding this. And recently, yet another study was released to remind us that the chemical imbalance theory lacks substance. According to Joanna Moncrief, who's the lead author of the recent study, quote: I think we can safely say that after a vast amount of research conducted over several decades, There is no convincing evidence that depression is caused by serotonin abnormalities. She goes on to say, Our view is that patients should not be told that depression is caused by low serotonin or by a chemical imbalance. And they should not be led to believe that antidepressants work by targeting these unproven abnormalities. We do not understand what antidepressants are doing to the brain exactly. And giving people this sort of misinformation prevents them from making an informed decision about whether to take antidepressants or not. If this is news to you, it just speaks to how incredibly effective pharmaceutical marketing campaigns are. And you're not alone. Even one of the co-authors of the study, Dr. Mark Horowitz, acknowledged, quote, I had been taught that depression was caused by low serotonin in my psychiatry training and had even taught this to students in my own lectures. Being involved in this research was eye-opening and feels like everything I thought I knew has been flipped upside down. I want to be very clear here. People with depression are suffering. They're in deep pain. And I am not trying to minimize this in any way. When you think about it, though, that's what a chemical imbalance model does. It minimizes our suffering, writing it off as merely the misfiring of neurotransmitters. What could be more dehumanizing than that? This is why I've fought against pharmaceutical interventions for so long, and why I'll continue to take action in this direction. I value the legitimacy of of humans' emotions. We have good reasons to feel what we feel. Dr. Horwitz put it this way. One interesting aspect in the studies we examined was how strong an effect adverse life events played in depression, suggesting low mood is a response to people's lives and cannot be boiled down to a simple chemical equation. I don't mean to be flippant here, but you think? So we actually needed a team of scientists to review a ton of meta-analyses to let us know that when you go through a breakup, you're going to be depressed. A divorce, the same. How about when someone dies? Yeah, you're going to be depressed. Or if you're still processing childhood trauma or wounds that have never been addressed. Yes, also related to depression. These life events cause us to feel emotions. And yet we have let pharmaceutical companies tell us for the last 30 years that if you feel down, it's just because your brain's screwed up. This infuriates me. And furthermore, a chemical imbalance model disempowers us completely. It asserts that your brain is broken. There's nothing you can do about it except take pills for the rest of your life. How disempowering and dehumanizing. And this is why... I initially resisted the medicalization of our emotional state because of how it dehumanizes us and minimizes our feelings. But it's worse than that. It wouldn't be so bad if antidepressants did nothing to our brains and any mood boost we felt was due solely to the placebo effect. But SSRIs aren't benign. As Robert Whitaker points out, the medicine clearly doesn't fix a chemical imbalance in the brain. Instead, it does precisely the opposite. Prior to being medicated, a depressed person has no known chemical imbalance. Prozac then gums up the normal removal of serotonin from the synapse, and that triggers a cascade of changes. And several weeks later the serotonergic pathway is operating in a decidedly abnormal manner. I know many people believe SSRIs have helped them. This is likely due to the placebo effect. A study from the British Medical Journal from June of 2022 shows that for 85% of people, a placebo is as effective as an SSRI. Participants think they're taking Prozac. Therefore, they feel better because they believe They should be feeling better. We focus on beliefs and mindset all the time on love and life. The placebo effect demonstrates just how powerful our beliefs are. One final note. If you are currently taking an SSRI and you decide to stop taking it, please do so under the supervision of a professional who can help you taper off them. Another little-known reality of second-generation antidepressants is that many people become dependent on them, and removing them from your system can be incredibly difficult. One friend of mine told me it was harder for him to get off Prozac than it was quitting street drugs. I'd love to connect with you via my weekly newsletter. Joining the Love & Life email list ensures you're the first to know everything going on in the Love & Life family. You'll receive insider perk pricing for consultations and events. And it's the best way to keep in touch when I do what the research suggests is very healthy and take breaks from social media. Subscribe on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. And as a bonus, you'll get my free Empowered Dating Playbook. Two more quick examples of where science has frankly, let us down. Most of us, sadly, have lost loved ones to Alzheimer's disease. And tragically, what has recently come to light is that the last 16 years of Alzheimer's research has been based on brain images that were altered and falsified. As noted by Nellie Bowles on Barry Weiss's Common Sense Substack, quote, tens of millions of dollars in research funding and 16 years of scientists' time has been misdirected and relied on possibly fabricated results because of this shockingly blatant image tampering. Whereas I've read many books and articles on antidepressants, I do not know much about Alzheimer's, so I have nothing more to add here Except it's appalling to me, as I'm sure it is to you, that a scientist would doctor up images in order to get a study published. What about the people suffering from the disease who now have scientists off in the wrong direction, not finding cures because the images they're basing their research on have been falsified? What about those of us who've watched Alzheimer's steal the brilliant minds of those we love? And the final example would be, of course, the utter lack of true science throughout the last two and a half years of COVID. I know this is a contentious topic and it's impacted so many of us with our relationships. And because we talk about relationships all the time on Love and Life, I did address it in a series called Relationship Strain of COVID with one of my besties who took a very different route through COVID than I did. Those are episodes 180, 181, and 182, if you're interested. And for more on how I came to my position, you can check out episode 173, Big Pharma, Big Censorship, and Big Government Mandates with Dr. Diana Lipford. I know that it's possible many of you completely disagree with me regarding the COVID stuff. Maybe you think the CDC, FDA, and NIH did a stellar job with COVID response. And we can take up this dispute another time, but what definitely wasn't scientific in any way, shape, or form was the silencing of opposing opinions. Science is the testing of theories. It is always to be questioned and it is never settled. We should have had the opportunity to consider second, third, or fourth opinions Throughout the pandemic. But during the last two and a half years, doctors who opposed Fauci's proclamations were censored, deplatformed, and defamed. Many have lost their jobs and licenses. Nothing could be more unscientific than shutting down questions. Science is always about questioning and challenging. So here I am a psychologist that's considered a social scientist who desired five years ago when I started this podcast to ground our conversations in psych research because I believed that was a way to get closer to the truth. And here I am in the face of a slew of faulty science, which shakes my confidence that I can trust results that are coming from even the peer-reviewed scientific journals I resonate with the quote from Dr. Horwitz that I read earlier. It feels like everything I thought I knew has been flipped upside down. I'm not saying I won't ever look at the scientific literature anymore. And I was always aware that you have to consider the funding and the lab that's conducting the research. And you have to be a critical consumer of results. But I am a little bit more jaded. And I'll probably be be even a little bit more suspect of the findings that I'm reading. I share all this just to let you know where I am. And I know some people may not want to talk about pharma all the time. And I get that. Also, as we've talked about today, I am someone that has to, as my dad used to tell me, make it happen, doll babe. Make it happen. I have to take action. And... When I see lies being promulgated and marketing strategies, coercing people to believe about themselves, things that just aren't true, I I have to talk about it. And I hope that you can see that it's coming from a pure place. I know that there's a lot of resistance around these topics at times, but I became a psychologist to try to help people. And that's another one of my core values. And I firmly believe that letting people know that their brains aren't broken is helping them. And I feel an urgency to share this because obviously pharma's messaging has been quite effective and it's now pretty ubiquitous. Most people, if you ask someone on the street what they think depression's about, they'll tell you it's a chemical imbalance. So it feels a little bit like David going up against big pharma Goliath. So all that to say, as I look back over the last 200 episodes and look to the future, I'll continue to do what we talk about on Love and Life all the time. I will continue to bring content that I believe will be valuable and that is also in line with our values. And in my case, that entails providing An understanding of the human condition and our emotional states that's grounded in a holistic framework as opposed to a medical model, which keeps us dependent on doctors and drugs. So yes, we will continue to seek ways to thrive in love and life. We will focus on mindset as we have for the last 200 episodes. We will continue to examine our beliefs and their impact on us. Of course, Elliot will be back and I have some exciting new guests lined up so there's a lot to look forward to and once again, I want to thank you so much for joining me and being a part of the Love and Life family. The Love and Life hack for this week is I'll reiterate the phrase that comes to mind from ACT. We take committed action in the service of our chosen values. In the show notes, I'm providing all the references from today's conversation and also some recommended reading for anyone who would like to dig a little further into how I've come to my thoughts and positions on all these topics. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Averill, and until next time... Make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson Abram.